welcome. You're listening to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. We're a team of five badass women who will be your sommeliers to the marketing world. We work and whiteboard together at our nine to five every day in B2B marketing. We're a small, scrappy team that's picked up a few secret hacks along the way, and we want to share our crazy ideas with you. Let's call it an anything but ordinary guide to marketing and design. From Chardonnay to Rosé, we've got your marketing sips and design tips. Now that's worth raising a glass to. So grab your favorite vino and join us. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Wine and Whiteboards. Today, we're going to be covering webinar pitfalls. 10 things to avoid when hosting a webinar. So like you might have heard, we covered webinars in an episode a few weeks ago. I think it was episode seven, but we did get some questions about some of our lessons learned and some things that you should avoid doing if you're looking to host webinars. So we're hoping that this will make your process a lot easier and you'll be able to jump in and avoid some of the mistakes that we've made along the way. We've been hosting webinars for a couple of years, so obviously we have had a few failures. Um, We've had many lessons learned. We talked about how to quickly build and test webinars in our previous one. Without further ado, let's jump in. I'm going to have everybody share what we're drinking today because this is wine and whiteboards after all. We wouldn't be being true to ourselves if we didn't share the wine piece of everything. I am drinking a 2017 Pinot Noir because, by the way, it is Pinot Noir Day, so I don't think we could go without the Pinot Noir. Paige is doing a little whoop whoop over there. I think she's already had a drink too many. But it's from Monterey County, Santa Barbara County, and Sonoma County. I guess that's maybe where the grapes are from. I'm trying to read the description. Oh, it's from Jay Vineyards and Winery. Jay Mm -hmm. Vineyards and Winery. That's a lot of counties. That is a lot of counties. (laughs) A lot of grape variety. I like the black on black label. It's not a nice label. It's also a mini bottle because last time I got a big bottle, I finished it and Matt got home from work and was like, what is going on? And I was like drunk around the house. So I was going to comment that bottle looks really small. Or it's a little bottle. Big. It's two servings. Yeah. It looks very short and fat, like stout. <laughs> like a Stop little syrup bottle. <laughs> it's, like, it's almost like it's thick. <laughs> Speaking of thick, Paige, do you have a wine you want to share? Yeah, so we were chatting before this episode a little bit, and I opened my First Leaf subscription, and I have a bottle of red from that, and it is 13%, and I may be a glass in, and maybe a bit tipsy. So we were laughing that when I described it, I was calling it thick, and everyone was saying thick and juicy, and it has legs, and it just sounded very perverse and hilarious, so (laughs) hope Mm. you enjoy that. A, l- a little vulgar description of your wine. <laughs> exactly. It was a very sexual reference. <laughs> Didn't you say thick with two C's, not one? Or a K? Opposite of what Paige is drinking, I'm going with, this is Katie, and I'm going with a rosé today. I did not want to open a full bottle of Pinot Noir yet because I haven't reached that amount of glass capacity, I'll call it. Six weeks postpartum and red is still hitting a little heavy, so I didn't want to open anything that I couldn't finish. So I had an open bottle of Whispering Angel Rosé, and it's always a goodie. It's my favorite rosé. If you haven't had it, you can try it. It's a little expensive in the grocery store, but it's always guaranteed to be good. So Costco has the best price. I think they have it for $18. Oh, I was going to say, I was like, how much is it at Kroger? Yeah, it's like 
24, 26. Oh, dang, you're bougie, Katie. Costco. I haven't met that point yet. I try and get my bottles under 15, at least. It's, like, worth the splurge, I feel yeah. like. This is a really good one. Mm-hmm. I'll have to look at it. It was, like, my postpartum present from Mike. <laughs> That's cute. You have well, a baby and you get a $24 of wine. $24, yeah. $24 bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. Well, that's if you got it at Kroger. So if you got it at Costco, you can ask for another gift. <laughs> Ooh, I do have, I will have a good review, a very spendy review. Mike and I had our third anniversary last week, and we didn't end up opening the bottle of wine that we saved. When he went out to Napa for a work trip last year, he got a really spendy bottle just as something special because I was so jealous that I couldn't go to Napa with him. He got a $135 bottle of Cabernet. I probably won't be drinking it on the call because I'll share it with him, but I will have a budget girls review on spendy wine. I would like you to also have a bottle that's $15 of the same type of wine. See if I can tell the difference. Yes, and see if you can tell the difference. Okay. I'm hoping not, because otherwise I'm like, damn it, now I'm going to have to buy $135 bottles of wine. (laughs) (laughs) Wine budget just jumped up. I always think it's funny when you buy a bottle at a restaurant and they do the little pour and they're like, how is it? And I'm like, do I ever say no? Would they ever just take it back and be like, it's fine, we'll just cork it. Like, it's all good. (laughs) Terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. I know the whole point is to see if it's sour. But at the same time, it's like, that's, are they going to double check and make sure it's sour? I don't get it. Does anyone ever spit it back in the glass? Like, oh, that's disgusting. (laughs) Absolutely not. Terrible. Because I always see the spit buckets at wineries. And I'm just like, who spits out wine? Even if you think it's horrible, I'm going to swallow it. Like, I don't spit that shit out. No, it it just seems wasteful. I don't know. It's bougie. It's so that you don't get drunk because you're just tasting it. So it's supposed to be the taste in your mouth. You're not supposed to consume it. That's why they do this. That's not the point of wine to get drunk. (laughs) I mean, some people say no. I guess those sommeliers probably can't because it's their job. They'd be drunk every day. We're all nodding our heads, kind of like, eh, mm, Don't okay. worry. I don't think anyone on this podcast would ever spit out wine. <laughs> no, definitely not. I was going to say, Paige, you could do that when you're wine tasting, so you are so you can drive instead of your mother-in-law, but that doesn't sound like a fun way to go wine tasting, like taste and spit. I also don't really understand why I would pay for wine and not consume it. Like, it's like tasting huh. food and spitting it out. Does anyone ever do that? That's that. what I couldn't understand. I guess it makes more sense mm-hmm. for smelly I'm not small enough. Or smelly A's, as Descript likes to call them. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, anyways. This is Sarah. I went up north camping last week, and I stopped at the beverage company in Traverse City and picked up some local wines. Since it's Pinot Noir Day, I'm drinking a Pinot Noir Rosé. It's called, I'm going to butcher the name, Arc Turos from Black Star Farms in Traverse City, Michigan. And did I? I'm pretty sure. It's good. I like it. So fun facts about Pinot Noir is that it's one of the tougher grapes to grow. It's very versatile, though, because they say you can use it for red wine, white, rosé, and sparkling wine. So pretty much sounds like the most versatile grape ever. And it's an older grape than, than Cabernet Sauvignon, which I thought was interesting. 
There were more facts I learned, but I forgot them. I'll spare you. There was one that was like, it's related to Chardonnay, and it made me really think less of Pinot Noir. (laughs) I agree with that, Kelly, 100%. Chardonnays are buttery, thick, weird, oily kind of wine. I don't know. know. I'll have to try an unoaked then, because I do, I'm not a fan. They're just so buttery. I'm like, I could cut through it with a knife. I think you have to be in a specific mood because that used to be something that I didn't like about Chardonnay. But then Charlotte, remember when we went to St. Louis for work and we went to that wine bar and we got the flights? Oh, oh yeah. Memphis. Memphis. Okay. Yeah. Those are very like similar in my mind for some reason. I don't know. St. Louis, Memphis. They both had Nanasses. I don't know. (laughs) Hopefully I'm not offending anyone. (laughs) Um, But we went to a wine bar and I got a Chardonnay flight. And I was really surprised that I enjoyed it. I think the guy let me taste one first because he heard me saying how I didn't like Chardonnay. I don't know. I think you have to be in a specific mood. Which one of you is the Pinot Noir? Wasn't one of you a Pinot Noir? I think it was me. Yeah, was it? it? Oh, yeah, because it said it was the most approachable. And we were like. It's the most versatile. So maybe you go with that page. You're the versatile one. Yeah, I can fit in anywhere. A little chameleon. Those. Yeah, I'm a chameleon. I'll take that. I like it. I'm a chameleon. <laughs> well, this is Kelly, and I am drinking um, the Devil's Advocate Pinot Grigio. This is the first bottle out of my First Leaf subscription. So that's two of us now on this podcast that have subscribed to First Leaf. They are not an actual sponsor, but we are definitely not opposed to them maybe being a sponsor. So if you're out there, hit us up for sponsorship or partnership or anything like that. Are you saying Leaf, L-E-A-F? Yes, as in like what falls from trees. Oh, okay. Got it. I was getting ready for the fall here. It sounds like you were saying firstly. Like almost like firstly. Yeah, it sounds like a Lee. And now I'm like Phoebe from Friends, but she's like leafy. I was going for leafy. (laughs) Okay, so now that we all have our wines to help us feel a little bit better about our past mistakes, let's dive into these pitfalls that we want everybody to avoid. Now, these are going to be your not-so-common issues, things that maybe we have done in the past that we're not going to also include on this list, like maybe forgetting to mute or unmute yourself when you're speaking or not sharing your screen. So while these are like not great things that we want anybody to experience, these are the least of your pitfalls that hopefully you can quickly move on to resolve from. Unless, of course, you're getting through a good portion of maybe your presentation before you finally see all these pop-ups that are happening where people can either not hear you or see your screen and they're wondering what's going on. So I'm not (laughs) going to say who that may have happened to before we just dive right into this here. So our first issue and pitfall that we want you to avoid is going to be not sharing who the host is or who the presenter is of your webinar. So you want to make sure that you are definitely sharing who that person is, right? You want to say from the get-go, this is that person. They're going to introduce everything and then run from there. I we think I recommend showing the person's face. When we start a presentation, we go to the slide where it has their photo, their name, and what their background is or title. And that's super helpful to put a face to a name because you kind of want to see what you're going to be involved in and their background, expertise, et cetera. 
Well, that's like the primary point, right? Because you need to tell and share with the people that are attending your webinar why you're presenting this and why you're credible and why you are qualified to be presenting and talking about the topic. And what's your reason for behind for, for, for doing the webinar in the first place? Because your webinars, 99% of the time, should never be solely sales. Actually, I'll say 100% of the time, they should never be solely sales. Oh my gosh, everybody. I'm so sorry people can't show see video on this podcast. Pablo, the posh Frenchie, has made an appearance and he is so cute. Oh my gosh. But anyway, you need to make sure that you make that introduction because it really helps explain your why behind the webinar and the topic itself. It's also important to introduce your company. Besides talking about yourself, you should talk about your company and what it does in just a very quick boilerplate. Don't spend more than one to two minutes on this intro. It will get old and repetitive for repeat attendees, but it's important to make sure you do it on every episode in case this is the first time that they're attending. It's also probably very easy to get a little too eager or feel like it's weird to introduce yourself. So just spend a little bit of time getting comfortable and talking about yourself before you do it live on air. It's also helpful to like build relationships too, because these people get from, even if it is repeat for some people, they get comfortable with seeing who you are, why you're talking to them, why they should listen to you. And it, in a way, without directly communicating with them, it helps build that relationship and makes them familiar and more comfortable with you, which is ultimately what you want because relationships obviously matter a ton in your business or um, your industry. Actually, a lot of times after I listen to a webinar or a podcast, if I have a lot of interest in what the person has to say or what their background is, I go to their their LinkedIn or their Instagram and actually go and follow them. So that is something too, to be able to like share so that people can follow up afterwards. They also don't have to be boring. You can change it up each time. You could add like a fun fact or, you know, something that just makes it a little more interesting so that they do get to know you on a more personal level before you dive into the content and material. Paige, I actually did that to your point about going and following people. I actually did that with this woman named Carla Basinger. I attended one of her Instagram webinars a couple of weeks ago, and I did exactly that because I knew who she was and all of the details around her background. I went and I followed her on Instagram because I was like, oh, she's interesting. And I feel like she knows what she's talking about. And I know who she is and I can go find her. So that is important. Our second one is related to having, the pitfall is having more than one host without a solid plan. This one has bitten us, I feel like, so many times in the past. And I'm surprised, not surprised, but we probably should have learned this one a little bit sooner. It's really painful. If you have two or more people who don't know each other really well and haven't established a rapport and dynamic between each other, things can get super, super messy. We do recommend sticking to only one host unless you're a well-rehearsed interviewer or have a good solid plan built out to figure out who's talking about what when. I can definitely attest to that. This is Katie. Sarah is a little more seasoned in the webinar doing, for lack of a better word. For some reason, I decided to have my first webinar with not only one guest host, but two guest hosts. It was with a partner and a client. 
It did end up going well in the end, but the coordination up front required a lot of work and a lot of practice. It was not harder than it needed to be. I would definitely recommend getting a first few under your belt with just people that work in your office. Just like Katie said, if you're new to webinars, we recommend not bringing in an external party or host until you get your groove down. And then you can start adding in additional people and getting a little fancier. That's what we're doing with this podcast. We have people that we want to interview, but we're waiting to do that until we get our groove and our style down and figure out how we want it to flow. As Katie said, it does take just a lot of extra coordination and planning and practice, which means that you can't just spin up a webinar and get it out sooner than later. You have to do a lot more planning. I'm pretty sure it took us two months to get the webinar up and running when realistically, if we did it on our own, it probably could have taken a week or two. Well, and that goes back to what we were saying in our previous episode about webinars is you want to be able to get up on your feet super quick, test everything, see how fast you can go just to see what works for you. And it's really hard to do that if you bring in other parties. You have to coordinate everybody's schedules. You have to rehearse. You have transitions. You have all those different, everybody has different slides. They have to know what they're talking about. It's, it can just get super, super messy. But if you're Find trying to date fast, that works for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And like, you might have to move it or change it. Like schedules change, things come up. Like you just have so many variables in the mix. So Definitely recommend if you're getting up and running with webinars, keep it simple, have one presenter, and then go from there. And if you do choose to have other individuals on the webinar, we definitely recommend having one presenter, but have some panelists that might chime in for like one or two slides to share maybe their very specific area of expertise or a case study or something like that. We have done that in the past and it's worked really, really well. As Charlotte was saying, have your regular host be the facilitator. This allows the other presenters just to answer questions, but not control the slide deck. It also helps if you use minimal slides when you do a panel and just kind of make it like a casual conversation and interview. It's also important to have questions prepared ahead of time. We've talked about this on the Create and Cultivate one. You never want to surprise panelists or guests speakers with questions that they're ill-prepared to answer. It's really awkward for the panelists themselves, but it's also really awkward for the attendees to listen to because it's kind of cringeworthy. It makes me feel uncomfortable. The important part is to make sure you give the interviewees the questions ahead of time so they're not caught off guard. I think that's a good segue into number three because Having like given them the questions beforehand helps also with having an agenda for your webinar because we saw that at Create and Cultivate. If you didn't give them the question beforehand, people start to just randomly think in their mind and they go off on a tangent and it has nothing to do with whatever the question could be or whatever your agenda will be. So it's always good to make sure that you have your agenda so that people know exactly what we want to focus on and talk about so that we are staying on topic and we're getting the right, you know, topics talked about in presented. There was a woman who went off on a tangent at Create and Cultivate and talked about putting yogurt up her vagina. So just FYI, like if you don't want that to happen to you with your presenters, we recommend having an agenda because not only will it help you keep everybody on track, but it will help you actually build your presentation because that's really the first thing you need is saying, 
what do we want to talk about? What are the key things that we need to hit on? And then what are the takeaways? At the end of the day, people are attending your webinar because they want to learn and they want to hear what you have to say and how you can help them or how or what expertise you have to provide. So definitely build out that agenda because it'll make building your presentation so much easier. The number four pitfall is selling, not educating without being upfront about it. So don't sell, educate your attendees. We've harped on this before with our, I forget which episode it was, but it's really easy to get sucked into the temptation of selling your product in your webinars. You think it should be a product webinar, but guaranteed you're not going to get many people to sign up for that. I don't know in the last time it, that I signed up for a product webinar just to learn about someone's product. I signed up for something that seemed really cool and was going to help me out with my job or personally. It's important to make it a safe space for people to learn so that you can earn their trust and solve their problems. Once you've earned their trust, then they'll ask you how to help them and what your organization will do. So unfortunately, like we've talked about with the infinite game, you're playing the long game here and you have to really build that community and that trust and educate people before you can sell to them. Once you have that community, even if your product isn't a fit for them or your service isn't a fit for them at this time, if it ever is in the future, they'll know that they can come back to you and that you helped them with something without asking for anything in return. So that's something super important that has definitely benefited us at our nine to five. Now, I did see an example. So that webinar that I attended by Carla, I, her last name isn't coming to me right now, but she did actually promote her product at the end of the webinar, after you had already walked through everything that she had to offer in terms of tips and information and expertise. If you want to promote your product, I think it has to be kind of an add-on aspect to the webinar versus it being the primary reason why you want people to sign up. And she had people typing into the chat that they wanted to sign up for her program right then and there. And that's fantastic. And that's what you want to do. But it was because she added value first and she proved out that she was the expert and that she knew what she was doing. The selling piece is definitely secondary. I don't want us to sound like we don't like webinars at the end of the day are there to help you build your prospect base. So that is important. But I think a lot of times that's that education and proving your value has to come first. I couldn't agree more. I think it's a lot about positioning yourself as a thought leader because a lot of the podcasts I do listen to, they do the same thing. They educate you and they give you all these tips and tricks that I really love. And at the end, they do this little promo of whatever they're selling or this product that you can download. It is available and we think it is valuable to put at the end, but don't have that as your sole reason to have the webinar and podcast episodes because at the end of the day, people are there to learn and not necessarily learn about your product firsthand. What we're saying is if you do plan on doing a webinar that's focused on your products, just be upfront about it in the beginning so that attendees know what to expect and what they're signing up for. Don't do any kind of bait and switch. If you do that, it's going to damage your reputation. And most likely those people aren't going to come back for another webinar anytime soon. 100%. So then that leads us into our fifth pitfall, which is covering too much information. People have attention spans that are so short these days, and at the end of the day, they're only going to be able to retain a few specific things from your webinar. So keep it simple. 
I believe the acronym is KISS. It's keep it simple, stupid. People can only digest so much at once. So really don't overload them and make sure you're being very clear and concise about what you want them to take away from your webinar because you don't want to just bombard them and then walk away and think like that they have no idea what they were supposed to get out of it. You want that to be very specific. Honestly, like three to five takeaways, I feel like is max. Like people want to go in and do these huge hour long demos and it's just, it's exhausting as someone who's been on both sides of those demos. I mean, it's not fun for the salesperson to do an hour long demo. It's not fun for the listener to do that, to sit through that. It's just, I don't know, three to five takeaways, I would say. I also feel like people, when they cover too much information, they think they need to put it on the entire slide. Like the amount of times I've seen a paragraph on a PowerPoint slide is infuriating <laughs> because people are like, oh, I'm just going to cram it all on there. They can read it if they want. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like that is not what you do. You need shame. to be yeah, shame. Shame. speaking the information and people can listen. You shouldn't have an entire paragraph on there because people's attention spans are less than five seconds. So you really don't want them reading. You want them listening and understanding what you're saying otherwise. Make sure you allow time for questions at the end. I feel like it's really awkward when you don't have good timing because you're trying to cover too much information. So you're running all the way up until like the, you know, hour mark or whatever it is. And then you just have to awkwardly be like, all right, that's all we have time for. Goodbye. And then you hit the end button. And it feels to me, it's like loses that momentum that you build and it feels very anticlimactic. And you're just like, all right, did that go well? Did that not go well? I don't know. It's happened to us and it always causes me a little anxiety at the end when people didn't get to ask what they wanted to ask. So they leave it feeling kind of gypped, I would say. So when we say covering too much information, I remember our last episode on webinars, we brought up how long you spend on a slide. And Sarah had a really good takeaway. I just want to hit on one more time of don't have more slides than you have time for, because realistically, you're going to spend at least one minute a slide minimum. So don't have too many slides because then you'll feel a little rushed and it'll just end up being like, oh, there's not time at the end for questions. You just feel like you can't do the survey justice, those types of things. So try and keep those in mind. If you're doing a 30 minute webinar, don't have 45 slides. Exactly. Don't don't have 51 slides. I normally try to keep it about half. Our webinars run 60 minutes, so I try to have around 30 slides. Sometimes it's a few more, a few less, depending on what it is. But to your point, Katie, when you start getting up to 45, I know it's going to be really pushed for time at the end. Mm-hmm. Which, and I know that Paige designs our slides wonderfully, so we would want to show those 45 slides because they're so pretty. But in all reality, we don't have time for that. So that's why we have to cut them down and just but use then them you can- webinar. Yeah, I was going to say to just like repurpose that content and put it in a new webinar or a new something else because it ended up being too much for this one. Well, guys, if someone does get stuck in this situation, would you recommend just stopping early and asking if anyone has any questions and saying you'll send out the rest of the presentation or would you try to finish what you have left? What would be the better option if someone does come to this scenario? My recommendation would be to ask the audience. I would ask them to put into the chat what they would prefer. Say, do you want me to cover the rest of the information and have you send me your questions later? Or would you like me to 
you know, stop the content here, send out the, the deck and the recording, and then have a discussion here on the call. Because the questions really allow you to have conversation. And that's where the community is built. That's where people mm -hmm. express their challenges. And that's where you're able to let some of your expertise shine or bring people together. So the Q&A, I think, is a critical piece. But I would ask the audience, because you might have an audience that doesn't really want to engage in a conversation. And they might be like, they yeah, have just finished the content and send me the recording. It's fine. Mm -hmm. But you might have people who really want to connect with others. So I think it's really, I would ask the audience in that scenario. That makes sense. Kelly, I know it says covering too much information as the pitfall here. So I think one of the ways you were trying to get around this was doing micro webinars, right? If you want to talk a little bit about that, but it was based on the AMA Coffee Break series that I saw come out. Yeah, because when I normally host a webinar, it's nothing compared to what we're talking about now. So I can't even relate to any of these things because I feel like all of these are I'm checking them off as like yep do that do that do that it's not avoiding them I'm actually doing them but I think I also do my webinars completely different from like what you guys are doing so with mine with the micro we call them micro moments where we focus on one specific topic and we do about 10 to 15 minutes where we just dive fully into it we quickly glance over it I don't do any questions because I'm trying to stay within that 10 to 15 minutes and then if they submit any questions during it, then I respond out to the group and I would answer all of them and we post them there. But the whole purpose is like quick, just coffee break, grab what you want to drink or whatnot. And then I just dive right into that quick little topic. So again, we're sticking with what Katie had said earlier, where it's like three to five things, but I'm really just that one thing of how it works. And then we are done within 10 to 15 minutes. So to clarify, you're typically going over a product enhancement or something that's happening within the product that we provide that's either new or changing the way it functions today. Yeah, and how to actually utilize it and use it for, you know, your role within the group or whatnot. Well, and to hit on two points after that is then to thinking about content repurposing here. Not only are you able to take those questions and then repurpose them into your training materials and FAQs, but also you're setting the expectation up front that we're not going to have q and I'll follow up with your questions later. Like you're setting the expectation and making it very clear that there is not going to be conversation and that's not part of this, so that people don't come into it expecting to be able to have that dialogue with you so that they don't leave disappointed, I guess. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I mentioned that at the get-go, and I try to just say that I'm trying to be respectful of everybody's time because everybody's busy and we got lots of things going on, so we're just going to dive right in. This is how you use it. Um, this is what will be beneficial to you, and then we'll move forward after that with any questions. I'll send them out later. Oh, my gosh, I remember my takeaway. It was about time and about respecting people's time. And so if you have too many slides, you run over and it's disrespectful because people have other meetings, they have other commitments. That's what my takeaway was. Sorry. When you said time, Kelly, I was like, oh my gosh, I remember what that was. So be respectful of other people's time and don't run over. That is all. I don't really know how we segue into number six after time. <laughs> We should be more respectful of Paige's time with all of the design that we ask from her. Look at you. That was a perfect segue, Kelly. Yeah, so you really don't want to skimp on your design because 
A plain white slide with black text is the most boring thing alive. I really do not recommend doing that. Invest some time in doing some design, even if that's just throwing a meme or a photo in there that relates, making it bulleted, just trying to break out some text so that you can add those animations and kind of segment it will really keep your attention span with your attendees. We recommend also maybe using some themes with webinars. We've done that in the past. We've really had some fun ones like unicorns and what was another one? Sarah, we've done. We did space. Valentine's Day ones like love. Yeah. Yeah. love. Show, show your people some love. Yeah. So I think people really find those fun because it's relatable. It's catchy. Because I was dying because they're putting, Paige, did you see the message in here yet? <laughs> No. It says Paige is drunk. (laughs) Which at that moment when I read that, your eyes were kind of just like. (laughs) I will say this is a dead giveaway that my lips and teeth are turning um, like black from the wine. That is my dead giveaway. Those wipes are not like they're not Uh, cheap. They're uh, almost two dollars a wipe. So if you think about how many times you. Yeah, you can buy like a 30 pack for it was like 60 bucks. So I thought that was a lot. I feel like Charlotte would buy those. Charlotte likes her teeth. I would. <laughs> I would buy those. If you don't, if you didn't notice, I'm actually drinking water after every sip I take of red wine because I'm worried that it's going to stain my teeth. Wait, oh, are those your reels or your fakes? <laughs> These are my fakes. <laughs> oh, wait. I mean, like, permanent. No, these are my temporaries. Okay. We'll go into that in another episode, everybody, but my teeth are temporary right now. <laughs> I don't know. I don't care. I have to close my window because the other day, our marketing meeting, the, like, grandchildren were playing in the room, like, next door, and I realized how many times I was swearing, and I was like, I'm a horrible adult, an example. And I was like, they're going to come over and talk to me because they're going to be like, you cannot be swearing all the time with our grandchildren here. But I was like, I need my window open. It's too hot. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you're at a house in a fancy neighborhood now, and you have, like, long-term neighbors. Yeah, don't piss off your neighbors when you first. I know. I wasn't trying to. I was like, I'm a bad person. I need to shut the window. You live there. The grandkids don't. So fuck them. (laughs) Sarah, did any of your neighbors bring you presents? I feel like because you're in a fancy neighborhood now that you'd get like nice presents. I haven't gotten any presents. It's sad. That's rude. (laughs) It's just There's, like, grandparents over here and then hippies over there. They have a push lawnmower. Like, you know, one of those stupid ones that you have to, like, I saw the girl today and it looked so hard. And I was just, like, what is that? Don't, like, like, Veronica have one of those? Yeah, it's, like, some sort of, like, electric, like, not, like, plug-in electric, but, like, yeah, they... Hers is an electric, it's just like Jill has it too, or had it. Like, it's just, you know, the blades go around and cut it. Like, as if you were an Amish person, just like chopping at the grass with a fucking blade. Like, <laughs> I was like, mm, I'm not getting that. Like you should just cut your grass with a machete. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay. So design is great, guys. Um, we really recommend to use PowerPoints or Google Slides to build your presentations. You don't have to get fancy. Both both actually have a lot of great templates that you can download from other places like Envato. Envato is something that we have a subscription with and they can literally make your presentation 10 times better. They have very cool customized um, templates that you can add in your logos, your color schemes. They have really great drag and drop imagery. So we really recommend to try and utilize those. Some of them are as 
cheap as $15. Invest in that because once you have a template, it's going to be so much easier for you after this first webinar to plug and play for the next couple. And what else? Can I say one thing? Sorry, this is a random off topic. Who's watched Zoolander? Like the Envato reminds me of like the song where they all go crazy, where it's like Envato could be in there, like part of the song. And then every time I keep reading where it says plain white slides, I just think of plain white teeth. And I'm like, okay, I don't know. Kelly with her, I just listened to our episode number, what is this? Seven, eight? This is number nine, right? What is number eight? The redesigning websites when... Kelly kept talking about like her Megan trainers all about that data, all about that data. So now I have weird song memes in my head. All right, yep. moving on. Yep, moving on. Which is actually a really funny segment or segue to go into number seven, which is staying on one slide too long because we were saying attention spans are five seconds or less. It's less than a goldfish. Is that right? Goldfish or? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, People are really going to get bored if you stay on the same slide for more than a few minutes. We really recommend if you do do stay on one slide, use animations to kind of re-engage people and not have the entire thing of text on there at the beginning. Click that button, hit the next animation, and your text will pop up one by one. And that is a really great tip right there. Well, and I think that allows your presenter to have flexibility to to have like more dialogue versus feeling like they have to read off the slides or that the other or that the attendees are reading off the slides because you don't want to get ahead of yourself and lose the attention of your audience. So that's a really good way to keep them engaged and having a conversation around a specific takeaway or or bullet, I guess bullet point would be the best word. Because people do get bored. Like if I attend a webinar, number one, if it has plain white slides with black text, I will leave your webinar. I will not stay. And number two, if you stay on the same slide and just drone on and on and on about that slide and read some paragraph text, I will leave. So I think that's a huge, huge win if you can find a way to break up your content into multiple slides or into transitions. I think that brings us into number eight, which is failing to not use animation. We already kind of touched on this a little bit. But adding animations, text, and imagery and transitions helps keep people's attention spans, right? We like to do it a lot where page will build so all the text isn't on the screen at one time so that people can't read ahead. And obviously, they're not paragraphs. It's just like bullet points. So she'll have one bullet point, then we'll move on to the next bullet point. So you'll have to kind of click to have it go on. Make sure that you don't build in the wrong order. Because if you're using a template, sometimes you rearrange things or move text boxes around. And when you hit like the enter button to move on to the next, to have the next bullet point pop up, sometimes they get in the wrong order and you're like, well, shoot, I didn't want bullet number five to come up after bullet number one. Make sure you test and check your animations before you go live. This happens when you just copy and paste slides that page has already created for us and then put them into a new webinar outline and don't view it in slideshow mode. That is probably our number one key takeaway here is to go view in slideshow mode and then you'll be able to see what order things are happening as you click on. We've definitely had some oopsies and mistakes and if you're not the one presenting the material, make sure your speaker's on board with the builds and the animations because previously we've had someone 
who didn't like builds, and now we have a facilitator who does our webinars that likes builds. Everyone has their own style and how they feel comfortable in presenting the material. Plus, sometimes presenting a webinar versus a presentation in person, that person might not want to be standing up on stage hitting the clicker five times versus if you're doing it on your computer while you're sitting in front of a webinar screen or whatever computer, it's a little bit different, right? So there are times when animations and builds work better than others. I always have a really good laugh when I see someone's animation go out of order because I'm like, oh, you didn't check that. I think our host has done that a few times in the past where it was like they wanted to rearrange a bullet and they didn't realize that an animation was in order. So then number eight was showing when number two was supposed to be going and vice versa. Definitely check that. Go through the animations. Make sure transitions are either on or off because sometimes they have those weird span in kind of ideas. Those can be distracting. I I don't actually recommend transitions. I say stick with animations, keep it simple, keep it stupid, and use bullets. Those are the best. What? You guys laughing at me? The way you like flowed, like when you don't use it in the full acronym, it just sounded you really You said funny. to keep it stupid, which just sounds funny. Oh, keep it simple, stupid. There you go. So, like, just keeping it stupid. Keep <laughs> it simple and keep it stupid. Also, every time we use it, I just think of the office when Dwight is like, Michael says to keep it simple, stupid. It hurts my feelings every time, but he is right. I was just thinking about how awkward it is. I mean, I know we're talking about webinars right now, but have you guys ever been at a presentation where the presenter doesn't know that there's animations and they are trying to load the bullet points and then all of the bullets come bouncing in really slow, like one at a time. And then there's like 10 bullet points and it's taking forever. Yeah, make sure if you are not the one presenting that your presenter knows how everything is flowing. <laughs> Oh my gosh. This reminds me of a funny, not so funny time when I was sweating it. And I think I had to call Paige. <laughs> we were at like a annual convention and our director of sales was speaking. And I had forgot to tell Paige to lose all the animations because he did not want to click through while he was standing up there. But I had forgot to tell her to do that and I forgot to do it. So it's like T minus like one minute till the presentation. He's like, you remove the animations, right? And I was like, no, like I had made the updates to everything else and I hadn't done that. And for some reason I was blanking. I didn't know how to do it. So I'm like trying to call Paige, but instead it's pulling up our like customer care line. So I called them. They weren't understanding who I was and what I needed fast enough. So I hung up on them. <laughs> which I later emailed and apologized for, but literally I have seconds. And so then I'm trying to find Paige's cell phone and I'm like, how do I get rid of animations in two seconds? Which you can just select and undo the animations. But I was, I was barely able to do it because my fingers were shaking so bad. And I was just like, I almost messed up this whole entire Don't do that. Control all is a great tip on that one. If you need to get rid of all of the animations, control all and then click done on animation and it'll remove it all. Now, if she you take away. nothing else, if you take nothing else from this webinar, that is the one tip you will want to walk away with. Control we'll all. Control all. All or alt? Control A. Control A. Oh, control A. Okay, because I, I would not have known that if I hadn't asked that question. I was There's like, no all, all like all. page. What are people gonna? There isn't an all button. I apologize. Yeah. All. 
Paige, go home. You're drunk. Ding, ding, ding. I'm ready home. What are you guys talking about? Key takeaway coming in. <laughs> control A for control all to remove animations. Same death. Well, on that note, I'm going to spare Paige a little bit of embarrassment and move on to number nine and say that number nine is ignoring the power of Q&A polls and engaging with attendees. If you do not do these things, your webinar will fall flat. Make sure that you're using the elements and um, engagement tools that webinar tools give you, which are the Q&A, the polls, et cetera. They take a little bit more time to set up ahead of time, especially polls, but they're worth it. One of the best things that our facilitator does is she'll ask a question and if we do a poll, she'll look at the responses as they're coming in and read them, and then we'll share the results. But she'll also do that with the chat. So if she asks a question and it's more of a chat question and people are chatting in, she reads the responses as they come in, which I think sometimes the chat is hard to keep up with as an attendee. It can move really fast. And then a good facilitator is able to highlight the key takeaways and the key ideas and stories that are being shared in the chat itself. Taking the time to read them aloud helps. And then also making sure you follow up on any questions in the chat. People love to put questions in the chat. And sometimes you might not be able to follow up with them right on the webinar. But I've had people reach out afterwards asking for certain things that they didn't see or get in the chat. And I think it shows that extra level of care and concern when you follow up with someone and give them the resources that they were looking for. We should do a webinar of our own for the Wine and Whiteboards listeners around how to actually walk through and facilitate a webinar and do some mock stuff around answering chats. Because I feel like the way our team and our facilitator does it is a little bit different than what I've seen across the board when I've attended other webinars. Like it's extremely engaging and extremely casual, but helpful. I don't know how else to explain it. It doesn't feel forced and it doesn't feel fake. It's just so genuine and caring. Maybe one day we'll do a webinar. If people are interested, we'll put a poll out there. That could be a giveaway after we have so many downloads or subscribers or something like that. And we do a little giveaway of whoever wins. They can attend a webinar with us and we can show them what we do. Ooh, that's a good idea. We should put a poll out there on Instagram and see what people would want as a giveaway or who they would like to hear interview. Because Peggy might be a really good person to interview. Agreed. Guys, I have to show you this little snack that I just got after we've been drinking so much wine. We got this cool new cutting board when we were on our trips and travels in wilderness. It was like an Amish cutting board. Ugh, oh, gosh, nice. I can't even show you without losing it all. Even oh. there's cheese and crackers and nuts and berries and fruit, and it's delicious. Sorry, it's I can't so with you guys over the internet. This is me How giving it to you. Sarah's boyfriend, James. He just brings her a charcuterie plate during recording yeah that or he brings her more wine whenever she's out she is kind first class service right i need a charcuterie board i'm gonna be like matt sarah gets charcuterie boards when we record where's my charcuterie board mike doesn't like cold cheese so he would not even touch it with a 10-foot pole so what does he eat saganaki and like warmed up brie does he eat any kind of what's warranty I don't think he would eat brie. I don't think he's tried saganaki. He doesn't like it. He eats like pizza and queso, but he doesn't like cold cheese. That is so weird. Cold cheese is my favorite thing. 
So, like, when we get a charcuterie board, like, he'll eat all the meats and I'll eat all the cheeses. But then I'll get some meats, too, you know. Okay, at least you get some meat, because you have to have a balance of both. Yeah. Mike can't keep all the meat for himself just because he likes warm cheese. I wouldn't even say he likes warm cheese. Like, he'll just eat melted cheese, like pizza. Like, when when I say he doesn't like cheese, people are like, oh, so he doesn't like pizza? And I'm like, no, like, he likes pizza. Because it's warm cheese. (laughs) (laughs) He likes pizza and nachos. Yes, pretty much. Also, I feel like we're falling victim to our own webinar where it says stay on your agenda. And we're just like, oh, charcuterie boards and cheeses. And then we got drunk yeah. rage, just doing who knows what. Those are instructions have, for a, a webinar, Kelly. This is a podcast. We're allowed to veer off our agenda. I have a <laughs> good we share the agenda. So I've been watching a lot of Food Network, being home on my maternity leave, and Giada has found her way to my heart, and I'm just watching all of her old episodes and stuff. And she made this fancy salad with radicchio and endive and something, so like different kinds of greens. And I sent Mike to the grocery store because I wanted to make this special salad that Giada made. And he was like, yeah, I didn't think I was going to like this salad because I thought those weird words I didn't know were, like, different types of cheese. And you know that, like, I just don't like cheese. And it also had feta in it. So he thought it was going to be this, like, three-cheese salad <laughs> going to make him eat. Does that mean he thought it was nothing but cheese? Like, just, like, crumbled cheeses piled together with... Yeah, so it was, like... I like endive, radicchio, feta, and I wasn't going to put feta on his part because he doesn't like feta. And then it was grilled plums and walnuts, I think. Um, So it just would have been like a bunch of cheese and then like plums and walnuts. I don't know. Sign me up for that salad. That sounds really good. I'll eat it. (laughs) I'm just impressed he found it all. I thought you were going to say he came back from the store with like romaine for you and be like, this is what I found for our salad. It, it was a good salad. Sounds good. No vegetables in that three cheese, plum, and fruit salad. <laughs> and walnuts. And walnuts. But bringing us back to engaging attendees, which hopefully we've engaged you guys, but one of my favorite things is to go back through the chat and use it to find future webinar topics. Uh, a lot of times stories will come out of those, so those could be potential topics or at least blog posts in the future. Well, so now I'm reading number 10, or pitfall number 10, which is forgetting to promote yourself. And I'm feeling like that's very contradictory to what we told you in the beginning, but that's okay because it is important that at the end of the webinar, you need to promote your next event or webinar or your next podcast episode, whatever it is, promote whatever you have coming up next because you have the attention of the people in front of you. So use that to promote whatever might interest them next. And then you also might have a new white paper or a blog post that's out that they might find relevant. Go ahead and promote that as well. Anything that might be relevant to them, if they attended this webinar and if this webinar was of interest to them, they might like your other stuff. So make sure you give them that opportunity and point them in the right direction to find those resources. I think the difference with what we were saying before is not selling 
when you're doing an educational webinar. So it's still okay to promote yourself at the end because you're gonna promote those other educational resources, not sell necessarily. So I think that's the difference between those two. And you can do this by sending out the recording and the slide deck afterwards, and then include in there your next upcoming webinar event or the supporting blog posts that go along with the content and the topic you just covered. That's kind of a subtle way to get people back to your blog and viewing the resources that you created and kind of creating this full circle of content. So I guess to wrap it up is if you do want to insert your products or you want to promote what you're selling, make sure that your webinar is marketed as a product webinar so that people aren't caught off guard and it doesn't feel like a bait and switch. And make sure you ask attendees at the end of the webinar if they're interested in hearing more about your company. That is a totally fine thing to do because then you can filter out the people who are actually interested and do it in a blanket statement to everybody, to everybody who may not be interested. So you can really filter out those people and get warmer leads versus a bunch of really cold leads. So that was number 10. To wrap up, just to break down a couple of the key takeaways that we want you to walk away with after listening to this webinar, other than the fact that Sarah's boyfriend brings her charcuterie boards while we're recording and that Paige has maybe had a glass too many, is that number one, we want you to stick to one webinar host or presenter if you're starting out. So then number two is to educate. Don't sell to your attendees. Build a base and a community of people who want to hear you and believe in what you have to say. Because ultimately, if you build that trust, they will become buyers of your product or whatever it is that you're trying to sell them if they trust you and if you can solve their problems. Number three is to keep your content simple. Don't have too many takeaways for your audience. Three to five takeaways is a good rule of thumb. As I like to say, keep it stupid. (laughs) (laughs) So number four is use Q&As, polls, and chats to gather information and engage your attendees throughout the entire webinar. And number five, promote yourself and your next event or webinar that's coming up. And finally, number six is check out Envato and other tools like that to create your awesome PowerPoint template. And now where would we be if we didn't listen to our own advice? So we want to also say thank you for listening, but we want to promote something that we're kind of working on here a little bit, and that is drunken marketing. So you're going to see that coming up here in a little bit, but we're going to have a little side episodes where they're not quite as long as what we're doing right now, but we're going to dive into some topics here and there where we just kind of rant and rave about different things that we have experienced in the marketing world. And my episode right now is a little teaser at the Drunken Marketing. May have had a 13% <laughs> bottle today, but we're going to talk about really pretty fun things that happen in the marketing world, like shipping failures, trade show events that go wrong, things like that. And they're going to be really entertaining. And we promise that you're going to want to just binge on every episode. At the end of the day, I feel like marketing is something that you sign up for and you're not really truly sure what you are actually signing yourself up for. We're going to share some of those real experiences that we have encountered to give you a glimpse into the world of real marketing. If you love this podcast and hopefully you come and listen to Drunken Marketing, please leave us a review. Share this with your friends, your family, your enemies, or whoever you think would enjoy wine and whiteboards. 
And we're always looking for new listeners to add to our wolf pack because we've already brought in a few lone wolves and we always want to bring in more. Thanks for listening to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. For show notes, links, templates, and other resources, visit our Instagram page at Wine and Whiteboards podcast. And while you're there, follow us to get more hacks and occasional wine-themed humor. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you would take a minute to leave a review. And don't forget to subscribe so you can continue listening to our marketing tips and design tips. Cheers! Cheers.